Whew. I did not expect that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, I want to continue in this and speak about something. Thanks, Teddy. Appreciate that. In a, in a vein of honesty and truth, I want to continue and speak to you guys this morning about something, a revelation for me, something that I am working through each and every day of my life, um, something that I, I feel like I learn again every morning, um, and in the classic way it is, as I'm getting up here to speak, I'm speaking the words over myself, um, but it's this simple and fundamental truth that I think is intrinsic to and rooted in the depth of Scripture. And it's the idea that each and every one of us, our lives are a living narrative. A God-breathed living narrative. And what I mean by that is that each one of you here today, what you do, what you don't do, where you live what you do for work, when you try, when you give up, how your lives interact with the woman sitting next to you, you are living out, you are writing your story, your narrative, one day, one decision at a time. And we see this from the moment that creation is birthed. In Genesis 1, I love that Starla referenced this, and I love seeing the ways in which All three of us have not spoken about our messages, and it's been amazing to see this prophetic kind of um, weaving that's taken place. But in Genesis 1, I think a story we all know well, God creates the world. He comes down, and into darkness, he makes life. And then he makes man in his image, and to man, he gives the earth. And he says to them, now go, be fruitful. He's not just speaking about having babies. Go, be fruitful, and multiply. What he is saying to them is that what you have seen me do, now go and do. That what you have experienced around you, the very creation life, now go and live it out. God's created world was given to us and we made in his image, formed by his hands, breathing his breath in and out, in and out every single day. We are a living, breathing creation story, a narrative of divine ordinance. You know, sometimes I think about Adam and Eve and I think, wow, that must have been cool. To have been formed from the dust and God's breath put in you. And then I think, wait a second, that is me. I am formed from nothing. And the very breath that sustains me, the very breath that sustains the world is the breath of God. And not only are we made in his image and formed by his hand, we are also, and I didn't know this was the theme last year, but we are also, Ephesians 2 tells us, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus the image for good works. And I think far too often we think about that as this sort of moral religious kind of like, oh, I've got to do these good things. When in actuality, what that means is that his purpose, his grace, his story, his divine creation is on display in this world through us, 
his image bearers as we live out his divine narrative every single day. And I want to say to you today, ladies, these two, these two things made in his image, his workmanship, they are the very root of human existence. And what this means for us is that when we accept Jesus, when we, when we answer his beautiful, loving call, there has to be a fundamental change to the way that we view ourselves. Do I live under a moral or religious or societal ideology that defines me and confines me? Whose voice am I listening to? Someone said that, and it's a great point. Whose voice am I listening to? My mom used to say to us, why do you find it so much easier to listen to the voice of the devil than to the voice of God? And I want to say to you today, how often is that the truth? Or do I operate from a sense of freedom rooted in my God-given identity? I am the breath of God. I always think of the words of Martin Luther. Whether he said them or not is kind of irrelevant. They're now like folklore. But supposedly he said this. He said, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And I think every single one of us should have deeply rooted in us this understanding. Here I stand by the grace of God. I can do no other because I know who I am. I know the good works he has called me into. And so I have absolute confidence in his grace, in his divine ordinance, in his narrative at work in my life. Do we understand that we are his breathing, living narratives, that we are the outworking of his creative power, of his grace-filled story in this world? And if all of this is true, if this is what God has spoken over us, if his creative power is in us, then ladies, I want to ask you today, what are you creating What does your living narrative look like? Is it a vibrant reflection of a God-breathed existence? Is it full of grace and love and mercy and kindness and power and truth? Because he made this world and then he gave it to us. What are you creating? Whether you are a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a chef or a mother or a wife or a sister or a friend... Or whether you're still trying to figure it out, and let's be honest, most of us are both, right? I am a songwriter and still trying to figure it out. But wherever we find ourselves, I think we have to change the way we operate and think about our lives as a divine narrative, as the outworking of God's grace, not, okay, as a math equation. This is how I wish life was sometimes. One plus one equals Two, always, right? It always equals two, okay? That's how I want life to be. Like, if I do this and I do this, this will always be the answer, okay? I can spend four hours in the kitchen and somehow the chicken doesn't taste good, okay? That is not one plus one equals two. If life doesn't go that way, the other way I want it to go is like a scientific equation. Now, I was an English and philosophy major, so this is going to be a little rough. But what I remember about science was this. You have an idea, a premise, okay? This hypothesis. I wonder, how do I know this is the right person for me to marry? Well, I'm going to test it. I'm going to spend three years dating this person. This is true of my life. And at the end of three years, I'm going to know 
that this is the person for me. That did not happen. We broke up, my husband and I, for eight months. He decided within six hours that we were meant to be together. It took me eight months. Eight months of like, I thought if you liked someone and then you dated them, there would be absolute clarity, black and white, yes and no. And I wanted to be able to control this thing I wanted to be able to understand and package it up. I wanted it to be black and white. But the problem with that kind of thinking is it is in direct opposition to the understanding of a divine flow, of a divine story being worked out. And also, when it doesn't go according to this one plus one equals two premise hypothesis conclusion, more often than not, I ended up blaming God. Because, Lord, I did all of these things. I was there every Sunday morning. I served in this way. We waited until marriage. We did everything right, and I still got divorced. I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and I haven't been healed. God, that's on you. And so I think so often we want to package it, we want to define it, we want to have these clear-cut boundaries, and God is saying, my, my presence is at work at the, in the world, will you let me do it? Will you let me be at work in you? Because this isn't just about us. If we are not living in this divine space, this grace narrative, everyone around us who doesn't yet know the truth, who doesn't yet know that they are the image bearers of God, will never experience his grace. And I think far too often we don't live there. We want this. We want the clear-cut lines. We want the proverbial Christian white picket fence. God, I'm okay if you operate in this space. I'm okay if you use me in this way. And excuse after excuse, and God is saying, my divine narrative is at work. Will you let me create in you? I get a little intense sometimes. (laughs) Sorry. I'm Dana. Did I say that? I'm Dana. (laughs) Okay. All right. So um, I'm a songwriter. That's what I do for a profession. It's a real job, I promise. Um, I don't think my grandparents believe me. They're like, oh, that's cute. Um, It's a real job. I've been doing it for about six years. And um, I dug in my heels for years because I was actually, I wanted to be a college professor my whole life. And God kind of closed that door and was like, I'm going to put you over here. And I was like, "Uh, I have friends who are musicians. That's a terrible life. And um, long story short, that's where I am. It's, to be honest, the ins and out of it are kind of boring. I'm not going to explain it to you. But the reason I bring that up is songwriting is this. At its most rudimentary and fundamental level, it's the process of creating something from nothing. Okay? Dolly Parton said that. Uh, I love Dolly Parton. She's a clever one. Actually, this whole message was written by Dolly Parton. So um, enjoy. No, it, it, it's the idea, right? Songwriting is taking this idea, okay, and, and, it's, and it's telling a story. It's this narrative being outworked. And in that way, I think the process of songwriting and why I'm mentioning it is very similar to the process of life. You see, for many years in my early days, when I was just kind of getting into music and just starting to write, 
I was kind of a slave to like the muses, uh, if I can use that term. So I was always like tossed to and fro with like all of these ideas. But I think I had this fundamental understanding that at like some moment, some magical moment, this song would just sort of descend upon me. And I would like sit down at the piano. Um, and, uh, and I don't play the piano very well. So, I mean, it would have had to have been like a supernatural moment. But it would have just sort of come to me like this whole, this, this moment, this song. And what I realized very quickly, and any songwriter will tell you this, I think most jobs are like this, but it's like 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration, okay? So it's like 10% of the idea, and then there's 90% of like this hard, agonizing, I'm just trying to get it finished. I don't have any children, but sometimes when I write a song, I'm like, this has got to be what labor is like, because this is hard. All the moms are like, oh my gosh, she knows nothing. But you see, for many years, my story was 10% inspiration and 90% procrastination, right? (laughs) Lisa, you've written 11 books now? I don't know. If that's procrastination, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Oh, that almost fell. 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration, distraction, fear, uncertainty. I can't do it. I, I don't think I could do it. And all the while in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to write a song. Like eventually I'll get there. And yet my life, there's no reflection of that. And I think so often that is how we live when it comes to the things of God. Up here... inspiration, 10% theology, 10% knowledge, and then all the reasons why we aren't living there, all the reasons why we aren't experiencing the fullness of God. I wanted to write a song. I had every intention of writing the song, but I never wrote it. And amazingly enough, so it wasn't written. The song wasn't there Because I never committed myself to it, and we live in this tension. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that it is way easier to take notes on a Sunday than living it out on a Monday, or a Friday for you guys, than living it out on a Saturday. You see, we get caught between the knowledge of God and the reality of what that looks like. We get caught between the knowledge of his story, the knowledge of his creation, and how it outworks itself in our lives. There's a book called The War of Art. I read it once a year. It's by a man named Stephen Pressfield. He's not a Christian, and it's all about resistance we face in life. But he says this. He says, most of us, most of the world, two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. So basically, most of us, and I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I, I often am in this category where over here is what I want to be like, over here is the truth I know, and yet way over here is where I find myself on a day-to-day basis. And I think we live in this tug of war. I thought there was someone behind me. It's my face. That is trippy. Oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness. Okay. 
I'm getting distracted. But that's where we live, right? The, the life we live and the unlived life within us. This is the world we're in, ladies. And so if we aren't able to, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the good works, then all we have is 10% inspiration. Then all we have is theology. Then all we have is knowledge. And the world is desperate for something else. They don't want knowledge. They don't want ideas. They don't want theology. They want a lived experience. They want the story of creation and grace at work in your life. Because, and and I read this a few months ago, and I was like, this is it. So Forbes did a study where they interviewed people from all over the world, and they asked them a simple question. How engaged are you with your job? Did you know that 63% of the population said that they were not engaged. Like, I go, I clock in, I do my work, and then I leave. 63%. A further 24% said they were actively disengaged, meaning they hated what they did. Now, if my math is right, and remember, English major, but that means almost 90% of the worldwide population lives on a day-to-day basis, unfulfilled, unsure, disengaged from what they're doing. Why? Because they don't know that they are the breath of God. They don't know that they are his life at work in creation. And ladies, if we don't know it and we don't live it, they will never know it. Because God said to us, this is my world, now go. Be fruitful, multiply. And that is the story of God, and that is why it matters how we think about our lives, how we think about who we are and who we are made to be. Just in case you were wondering, where the happiest people? Panama. 40% of people interviewed there loved what they did, which means this isn't about first world luxuries, this isn't about poverty, this is about a fundamental understanding of identity and work. Who are we and what are we made to do? This is the world we live in. People desperate for something to engage in. And that is why we have to not just know, but live out the identity, the work of God. Do you believe, not just here, But tomorrow morning, do you believe that you are the breath of God? Do you believe that you carry his creative power in this world? Do you believe that who you are matters? That there are people in your life that God has set before you to share his love and his grace? Do you believe that you are an ambassador of hope, of truth, of beauty, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your job is, you can choose to participate in an eternal story or you can choose to disengage from it. And let me tell you, this has been tested in my life over and over and over again. I have been a nanny. Um, It was awful. Um, I have been, let me tell you, changing diapers It feels like the most insignificant thing. You are literally wiping poop, in my case, off of someone else's child. Like, in that moment, I'm like, 
Life has no meaning. Um, I have been a waitress. I've worked in admin jobs. I have worked in university jobs. I have been, I worked at a coffee shop and not a cool coffee shop. I worked at Starbucks. So like McDonald's of coffee, like that was where I, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, this is like, yeah, I worked at a coffee shop and served. No, we served like Frappuccinos all day long. I'm like covered in cream. Okay. And let me tell you, there are moments where I wanted to actively disengage where I want to be like, this doesn't matter. I'm going to make lattes for eight hours and then I'm going to leave. But when we do that, we, we allow ourselves to disengage from the eternal story of God. Because the moments when I chose to allow myself to engage, I saw the most beautiful people who didn't know Jesus. I saw the most beautiful people who were desperate for me to live out the truth of his creative story in my life. And so no matter where you are today, I want to say, ladies, it has to go beyond here. It has to be worked out. We can't disengage. We can't opt out. We are God's choice. There is no B choice. He came, he gave us this world, he gave us his son, and now he says, go and us. And it's not scary. It's beautiful. It's freaking amazing that our dad in heaven said, here, I believe in you. Go and tell of my love and my goodness and my grace and my creative power. So then why do we wrestle? Why is it so hard? Well, thankfully we have the Bible and, uh, anytime, I I don't know if this is correct, but anytime I feel really like, I can't figure it out. I just go and read the story of the people of Israel because I'm like, those dummies, they could never figure it out. Uh, (laughs) So I'm going to use a few examples because I think we see in the text, why is this hard? Why is it hard to get from here to here? Why do we wrestle? What are the forces of opposition? And there are two obvious ones that I want to speak about first. And this is important almost immediately after God gives the mandate to Adam and Eve. What happens? God creates them, made in my image, serpent comes, voice of doubt, right? Genesis 3. And not only did he sow this voice of doubt, did God really say? Then he says this, and this to me is the moment. If you eat this, you will be like God. What is the only thing we really know about Adam and Eve? They were made in his image, and he said, it is good. And what does Satan say? If you want to be like God, no, 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 no. Made in his image, formed by his hands, breathing his breath. And so Satan comes in with this voice of doubt, with this whisper that echoed through all of creation. And it is this, the whisper of insufficiency. You are not enough. Wait, but God said I'm made in his image and it is good. Oh, no, no, no. If you really want to be like God, then you need to do this. If you really want to be like God, this is what it looks like. And this obstacle, this barrier to the intentions of God, it happens over and over and over in the Bible. God says to Moses, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of slavery. Oh, no, not me. God is in the form of a burning bush, okay? If God came to me in the form of a burning bush, I like to think I'd be like, sure, I'll do whatever you want. And Moses goes, no, no, I can't. Like, I don't speak very well. I'm, I don't think I can't stand up to my brother. I don't think I'm the right. Why? Whisper of insufficiency. What God said isn't enough. What God said isn't the truth. 
Really? Do I believe in God's power? Yes. Do I believe he's at work in this world? Yes. Do I believe he can use me? Well, the thing is, I'm really busy right now. The thing is, um, I, just, I just had a baby. The thing is, I just started a new job. I just got married. I don't really like to speak in front of people. I don't really like people. Um, whatever the reason is, we believe in God. We believe in his power, but we just don't want to believe that he wants to use us. And I've said that over and over. I said it this morning. God, I just really don't want to do this. Maybe I can fake the flu. Um, You laugh. It's the truth. Um, (laughs) Because God says, you believe in my power? You believe I'm at work? Good, I'm using you. Oh, no, 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 not me. Another area of this narrative of insufficiency is God says to the people of Israel, you will be my people and I will be your God. Okay, cool, but everyone else has a king. You don't need a king. I'm your God. No, 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 but everyone else has a king. And if we want to be taken seriously, then we need a king as well. Really? Why? Narrative of insufficiency. What this is, who you are, essentially what we're saying is not enough. You can code it all you like, but essentially what I'm saying, God, I don't want to stand up here and speak today because I just don't think you're enough. I just don't think you can empower the words that I'm saying. The men and women in that Forbes study... I want to hazard a guess that the people in Panama are not necessarily doing more like, that's not good grammar, like cooler work, okay? They're not like living the dream. This isn't about what we do. This is about the way in which we view our lives. The narrative of God spoken over us from day one. You are made in my image just as you are, and through you, I will display myself in the world. And through Jesus, all sufficiency, all goodness, and yet so many of us live lives of a sin consciousness, not of Jesus, once and for all done, of an insufficiency consciousness, not really believing the fullness of what God already spoke over us twice. And so we feel this opposition time and time again. The second opposition is a narrative or a whisper of insecurity. Now, this can manifest itself personally, right, the way we view ourselves, but but I think there's a far more profound aspect of the narrative of insecurity because it says this, we doubt God is God and whether he can do what he said. So there's, there's insufficiency, it's not enough. Or there's insecurity as in like, God, I can control this and I feel secure in this. But the moment I step out of this, I feel insecure. The moment I step out of my comfort zone, one plus one doesn't equal two. You see, guys, the narrative of God is creation, right? Made in my image. But it is also faith. We are his workmanship to do good works. And the narrative of faith comes in direct contact with the narrative of insecurity. Because insecurity says, I want to control so that I feel safe and secure. And faith says, go, and you might not know, and you might not understand, but you have to trust this is me. That small hole I said I wanted to crawl into at the beginning, God was calling me, Gideon, get out. No, I don't want to. No, I don't want to. 
Everything inside of me at that time of my life was being ripped out from under me. The things that defined me, the things that made me feel good, the things that made me feel confident and secure were falling apart. And can I tell you, I would have spent years in hiding if it was up to me. And all the while, the unlived life, the unlived narrative of God, that creation power, that creation story would never have been allowed to breathe. That's what I wanted. And thank goodness there were women and men in my life and the voice of God that would not let me go. Guys, these narratives of insufficiency and insecurity are in direct opposition to the divine narrative spoken over us as children. It is not the way of the God we serve. It is not the way of his creation because out of nothing, out of absolute void, God said, let there be light. And he spoke and the world came into being. And now we stand with that same breath inside of us. And God is calling. I so felt this. God is calling each and every one of us to live lives that reflect that light, that reflect that power, that reflect his creation. And that is his charge to us today. But remember what I said about songwriting? It's in the doing. It's in the living. It's in the writing. I can know all the chords, and I don't, okay? But I could know all of them and never play. I could have great ideas, but never write anything down. You can believe God, but if you don't live it, it is nothing more than 10% inspiration. But it's when we act like the children we are, formed by his hand, known by him. It's when we don't listen. Do not listen to the voices of insufficiency and insecurity. You bury those suckers, and every time they try to come out of the ground, you stamp on them one more time. No, you are done and gone, because his voice, his voice, and ladies, we don't disengage because it's easier or less scary, or more comfortable. We don't disengage. We don't act like we don't matter. Now is the time for living, for being the embodiment of the narrative of God, for continuing his creation story in your life, in your work, in your marriage, with your kids, with your family, with your friends. Every single moment is an opportunity to live out, to be the living narrative of God's grace at work in the world. And that is the beauty of the creation story. And it's the beauty of the recreation story. Because even when man didn't believe even when we fall away. Think about Peter with Jesus. I don't know him. Even when we choose to disengage, when we shrink back, when we live in doubt and uncertainty, the beauty of the God we serve is this, is that into the darkness he came once again. And he said, let there be light. And he recreated and he breathed his breath again. And he spoke over us, you are mine, and with you I am well pleased. And all of my goodness, and my mercy, and my grace, and kindness, and love, I once again speak 
over you. He recreated in us what had been there from the beginning. He recreated in us what he had spoken over in Genesis 1. And he resurrected the truth. He resurrected life in him. And that is the beauty of believing and living his narrative over us. Because it is the eternal answer to the question we all ask, can I begin again? Yes. That is the recreation. That is the resurrection. That is the power of God at work in us. Can I begin again? Always. He is the resurrection life at work in us. You are the story of that recreation. You are here today because of his resurrection. Because out of your darkness out of what feels like nothingness, out of your brokenness, out of the misplaced identity, his life, his story, his truth is ever calling out. And today I want to tell you, you breathe deep of that. The breath of God, the life of God, we take it in every single morning. God, I am living proof of your recreation. I am living proof of your resurrection. I am living proof of can I begin again? Yes, today. I want to read over us John 1, which Starla started to read yesterday from the message. And I want you to listen to this. Because it, it is the story. It is the living narrative of God. The word was first. The word present to God, God present to the world. The word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. Every single one of us came into being because of him. What came into existence was life. And the life was light to live by. And that life, Light blazed out of the darkness and darkness could not put it out. That life, light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world, but the world was, and the world was there through him, and yet the world did not even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, whoever believed, He was who he claimed and would do what he said. He made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. These, you, are the God begotten. Not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The word of God became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood and we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, the like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from the start to the finish. And we all live off of his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses and then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all of this came through Jesus, the Messiah, 
No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse, but this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain to us today. Ladies, I think we have to make a choice. What is the narrative we are going to live? What is the creation story that is outworked in our life? Is it a story of recreation and resurrection? Or is it a story of insufficiency and insecurity and whatever else is in opposition to the truth of God? I think of the words of David that I want to leave you with today. As he said to Solomon, he says this, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you and he will not fail you or forsake you until all the work in the service of his temple is finished. Strong and courageous. That is my charge for us today. Today we choose. Today we choose a different narrative. Today we choose to do the work to commit ourselves to those good works that God made in advance for us. And we are brave and we don't back down because that is the story of God. Is it a story of grace, of kindness, of mercy, of faith, of courage, of perseverance? We're going to do something a little bit different as we kind of bring it to a close. And... Um, Honestly, I, I felt nervous about this today, but I'm going to invite the band up. And Starla really encouraged me to do this, so we're going to go for it. This is a song, you know, so often in the Psalms, David says to himself, sing out my soul, right? Because we have to hear the truth. We have to declare it. And I am not a naturally brave person. I am fearful. I am shy. And I wrote this song more singing it over myself than anything else. Now, you won't know the words, but the chorus is very simple. I will be brave. I will. I will be strong. I will. And this isn't in our strength. I want to say that again. This is all of the revelation we have of God. But we are going to stand together like, like children of God, like Solomon, and we are going to be strong and courageous. And it might be a little bit cheesy, but I'm okay with that because I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to sing the words of this song. And if you don't want to sing along, just allow the truth. Imagine it's the voice of God saying, I am calling you out to do the work and I am calling you to be brave and strong and courageous. And that is the narrative I am speaking over you. And so let's take a moment. Heavenly Father, we choose today your narrative, your creation story, your power at work in the world. We choose today to be strong, courageous, and to do the work that you have set before each and every single one of us, God. And even as we sing this declaration over our souls, may it be reflection, God, of what you have spoken over us, that we are women of courage and bravery and strength, God, not because in and of ourselves we feel that, but because it is your truth. And no matter what opposition comes comes up against us, no matter where we find ourselves, we stand firm in the truth of God and the name of Jesus this morning. 
In the name of Jesus, we stand.